Um, and I can say a attempted introduction. So thank you for those who I invited or for everyone for joining. Wait, am I good? Okay. And uh, cool. So I'm mostly going to hand it over to Domerado and Robert to do our lead our discussion today. Uh, but you know, I, I and I think I, what I wrote in the email invite would be like the most I can summarize for this topic. So that'll be everything at else will be left to our presenters to uh, talk about this exciting idea and how, you know, see the our Seattle group can be like a proof of concept for it, but also how, you know, I know we have folks from all over the place. So cool. I'm going to lob it over to you, Domerato and Robert. Okay. All right. Well, I would like to start off by saying thanks a lot, guys, for for coming on. I haven't seen any ladies come on yet, but they're also um, even more welcome than each of you. So um, thank you for, for taking the time. Uh, this is an idea that has been slowly hatching over a long period of time, uh, partly between Robert and I with uh, feed in from many different people. And so I would like to introduce first off Robert because people know more about me. Robert uh, lives in Thailand. Uh, he lives up in the, uh, the north uh, west of, of Thailand, but not all the way uh, to the border. Uh, he has lived in Thailand. He speaks Thai very well. I know he speaks Thai very well because he speaks it both fluently and I can generally understand what he has to say. <laughs> Where most Thai people, I don't have a chance. They speak so fast that I don't understand anything they say. But Robert is kind of clued in uh, with that Thai language aspect uh, that I don't have quite so well. And so he's been able to meet people and do things. Uh, he's lived in Thailand uh, for years, I guess, and has a Thai wife uh, and has been in a lot of different watts. And he's been down here uh, doing retreats with Achan Po. He knows Achan Po. So he's got a really close, deep connection uh, with the Dhamma. Uh, has been doing translations of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. Uh, and also, he's the one that I go to. He's my go-to guy when I want to check what the Thai language version of the uh, Pali Canon has to say. Because I generally don't trust, as you probably know, I don't trust very well the English language translations. <laughs> and so... Um, Robert and I have been having the idea of actively doing something to unify uh, the Sangha. Uh, first off, um, in, our, in our instance, to begin to uh, bring um, the Dhamma together and all the kind of Dhamma dudes, especially those that are in pragmatic Dhamma, uh, basically, what I'm looking for only has two general qualifications, and that is, is that 
uh, uh, people are not actually actively looking for money by selling the Dhamma. And number two is, is that we generally don't speak magical, that we take the magic out of it. And so pragmatic Dhamma, I think, fits in both of those categories extremely well. Uh, and so it's a very, very good fit. But if we can expand that uh, to all of the budding Dhamma teachers that are beginning to, uh, let us say, uh, get on fire, come online, or uh, a way of saying it, they become eager enough in their lifestyle so that they just start living the Dhamma and they want to start teaching the Dhamma and they've got basically nothing else left to do in their lives other than Dhamma. And that's what the Dhamma does to people. It's a common thing. That's why the Sangha was set up in the first place. And that's why there's, what, somewhere between two and five million people uh, who are ordained in the Buddhist traditions now. That's a lot, you know. There's no army in the world that has five million. <laughs> and so it's a common kind of thing. And that uh, there are far more lay people that uh, are also dedicated to the Dhamma, but we don't have any unity the way that they do in Thailand. Through the Thai Watch, they're very much interconnected. The monks know each other. Uh, they know each other at various levels, but it's a, uh, it's a great big old boys club in a way of thinking about it, where everything is based upon friendship and camaraderie and getting along. And most of the Westerners that I know that are getting into meditation, they feel kind of isolated. And so this is a way of us gaining a community, especially with this uh, uh, Zoom. I think that, you know, I'd be honest with you, I'm impressed <laughs> to see so many faces all at once and being able to talk like this is almost like having um, a live audience. And so thank you all again for um, uh, coming online and listening to this. So um, the Seattle Project is interrelated with this in the following way, that the watts in the United States are generally very much interconnected. The abbot of the Watt in, in uh, uh, Washington, D.C. is a good friend of the abbot in Seattle. And on and on it goes. When I was a monk in the United States, I was in at least in 50 different watts that the monks do travel around a lot, not just in the States, but also uh, in, in Thai culture, that, that it's a, uh, a, literally a moving target, that the only time that the monks will settle down is the three-month period of the Ponza the range retreat, and they'll stay in one place then. And other than that, the only thing that's gonna keep a monk in any particular watt is that he's the abbot or that he's got students. But other than that, uh, the monks are free to travel and go. And I saw a lot of that in the United States, which means that already the Thai people and the Lao together in fact, Thai language and Lao language is so close that 
the Laos understand the Thai, but the Thai don't understand the Lao. How that works, I'm not sure. But it has to do with uh, uh, Northeast Thailand and, and the Isarn language that's halfway between Thai and Lao. So they get along very well together as well as there's a lot of monks that are on the border of Cambodia that will speak both Thai and Cambodian. And so those Thai monks will get into the Cambodian Wat in the United States generally because it's very difficult for Cambodia to get monks out uh, of Cambodia into the U.S. But there's also Wat in England and in Europe and they all are interconnected with each other. The ones that are disjointed is us. <laughs> and so what I'm looking for is for us to start to become more connected together, both on the medium of Skype and also to come together uh, by going into and becoming part of the already existing uh, Buddhist um, culture that exists in these various Asian temples. And we already have connections with the Asians, that this is where Robert comes in, that he knows uh, Achan uh, Kun now Tanet uh, in um, Washington, and he also now we know uh, uh, Kun Ri, I think, I'll listen to how Robert says it later. Uh, and we've actually done a, a Zoom call uh, with uh, Kun in Seattle. And so he's quite eager <clears throat> for spuds to move right in. And so with that, we thought we would have this call so that we can talk about how Westerners can move into a, a Thai Wat both once in a while on a regular basis or actually move in. Because uh, in Thailand, lay people live in the temple on a regular basis. Basically, all you have to do is fit in. And they would like that. This is a common culture that's available. So uh, Robert has already started putting together the other side of it. And so what we're doing today is to, to talk to you guys about what what life is like in the US and in, in Europe so that you'll know how to get in, <clears throat> how to fit in and uh, whatnot. So at this, I'd like to introduce Robert and give him some time. <laughs> Thank you, All Robert. Right. Is my mic on? Yes. Okay. I'm not so great with Zoom. Uh, Damarato and I are, are learning how to use it together, I suppose. Um, so like you said, my name is Robert. On here it's Nanrin. That's because I took Chukai in a Zen tradition as well, so I sometimes use that name. Um, like you said, I've been in Thailand for quite some time. I came here back in, oh, it was about nine years ago. I've been back to the States a bit. That's where I'm originally from. Um, I spent some time working in the States as well as staying at Taiwan, so that's my connection. I've never ordained. Uh, 
I once was preparing, but then I got rather sick and it just didn't didn't work out. But I spend a lot of time in different bots in Thailand and in the States as a layman, so I have a bit of that connection with that culture. Uh, and like you said, it's very, very easy if you're familiar with the, the culture and the, the customs of a Thai Wat or really in any of the Southeast Asian Wats. It's very easy to sort of just become a part of that community as someone who visits regularly or someone who stays there full time or at least for periods of time on retreat. Uh, very, very easy thing to do. Um, but there's a bit of a cultural divide. So one thing that I always loved when I was visiting Wat Thai DC uh, in, it's not actually in DC, it's, it's in Maryland, but close to DC, so they call it DC, um, is that it's almost like you're going to visiting that country. So when you go into the Thai Wat, you're more or less entering Thailand. Sure, it's governed by the laws of America or England or whatever, but it's very much governed by the cultural laws of the culture that sort of built up the communities. And so that sort of puts a bit of a barrier between these and then the general surrounding community. Um, they serve as a cultural center. So you'll have not just, you'll have both the religious functions. So, you know, holidays or funerals and ceremonies and chanting and ordination and so forth. But there's also as a whole cultural side of it where it's about these festivals and having the food. A lot of these Thai Wats at and other Wats will have uh, school, summer school or weekend school for Thai kids to learn Thai language and reading. Uh, sometimes they'll even have other cultural things like I've been and I've learned Thai instruments, traditional dancing, all sorts of other cultural things. They all get put into these, into these temples, which can be a fun experience, but can also be really off-putting and really emphasize the divide between the Asian community that's built these and then the surrounding uh, Western community. On the flip side, the monks there generally have gone through training here in Thailand before going to the West in order to be able to discuss the Dhamma and to sort of teach it to people who aren't ingrained in these cultures but they're handicapped a little bit by the fact that they have been only, even when they're in America or wherever else, they really only are exposed to Thai culture or Lao culture or Cambodian culture and so forth. They don't get a lot of exposure to the surrounding culture because they're basically full-time living in cultural centers. Um, oftentimes they will- I add something at this point? English. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Robert just pointed to, but he didn't make specific that some of the best monks in Thailand wind up outside of Thailand. And the reason for that is because uh, when the lay people uh, are looking for new monks, as their community grows, they can expand and generally the more monks, the better is the mentality in the uh, Western communities. And as I said, the Cambodians actually come to Thailand looking for monks and, and the Lao community does also. So there's going to be some Thai monks in the Lao communities as well. So that's the way that things got really mixed together. But the important point is, is that the Lao and the Thai and the Cambodian lay people really know what they're looking for. 
they have been Buddhists their whole life and they know what a good monk is and that's what they go looking for and then they invite those. So you will find some of the best, high, most high quality monks in the world right there at your doorstep. And that's kind of amazing. And that <laughs> many of them uh, are uh, of the Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa tradition and or uh, are of the noble Dhamma. That was one thing that it became interesting to me was in the Lao community. They had no knowledge of Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa as a name, but they still knew the noble Dhamma and they understood it. In fact, that's part of the reason I fed in so well with that Lao community is because they were full of nobles. That they, you don't find your average low-class magical monk being invited to come stay in Thailand. However, the monks do have to cater to the Thai people who are magical thinking. And, and the, uh, uh, it's kind of an interesting dichotomy that it might take a while for you to get close enough to a monk uh, to go into the noble Dhamma because he is normally at the level of uh, the magical thinking Dhamma that most of the uh, community will have. However, that's also changing. And the reason for it is, is because mostly the higher, more intellectual people of that whichever society uh, are the ones who gravitate towards the noble Dhamma. It's only your very low class people who keep it very magical. And that uh, Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa had a major influence uh, on the uh, upper, uh, uh, let us say, the intellectual classes of Thailand. Uh, and so uh, the Thai community uh, generally tends to be noble, but it tends to present itself as magical. So I'll give back to Robert now. I just thought I'd throw that in there for you. Yeah, so there's definitely that aspect of things which is a little bit strange. Um, where a lot of what things are being presented as tends to go towards the more of a magical perspective, even if the individual monks don't actually tend to look at things that way. There is quite a bit of catering to the, to the community in that way. I think that's part of what can make these off-putting is because on the one hand, for over a hundred years, Buddhism has been presented to the West as sort of rational tradition that can be fit in with science and so forth. But yet, if you go into your average temple here, that's not what you're going to see or feel like in the slightest. Um, and though, although in the States, these temples have higher quality monks than your average temple here by far, um, a lot of times you won't feel like you're seeing that. It's not initially obvious, but I think Dhammarata and I can both confirm our experience with who knows how many dozen or probably hundreds of monks, he's met a lot more than I have. Um, but that is actually the case. Um, like I said, there is a bit of a vetting process that happens both with the lay people and the monastic community in abroad when they're picking the monks, whether it's the Thai government sort of 
because they have to arrange for visas and stuff, there's a bit of a vetting process there, there's a bit of a vetting process in terms of the communities where these monks are being sent that they don't want to have, they don't want to support just any old monk, they want to have someone who's a bit better than usual, also one that'll cater to them a little bit more than usual. Um, Bragging right. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, but I think there's a really great opportunity. I really love my time with uh, spending time with temples in the States. Uh, and to a certain extent, I enjoyed it more there than I do here because of that uh, general sense of these, the monks are, are picked well. I would disagree or perhaps add a little bit of nuance to what Damarato is saying in terms of class. Uh, I would actually argue that a lot of these really good monks are coming from rather low-class Thai society, even though they're very high-class, high-caliber kind of people. Um, if you wander around temples here, you'll find that a lot of these really good monks are really serious to meditating. They'll be covered with all sorts of tattoos and stuff from when they were a rebellious teenager, or you know, all sorts of magical stuff. And they don't believe that anymore, but that's where they came in. In fact, I have a good friend at a temple about 15, 20 kilometers that way. And he specifically targets young men like that. Um, ones who aren't doing well in society, he kind of says, we're gonna grab them, we're gonna put them in the robes and make them into, into great monks. And he does a pretty good job of it. Um, same thing with the, the lay people. I wouldn't say that it's just that all the, you know, the more educated, affluent Thais are the non-superstitious ones. In fact, I know a lot of affluent Thais who are extraordinarily superstition as in any of the farmers in my village here. Um, so it's not, not so clear cut, but there is a trend. There is certainly a trend that gives rise to the stereotype. Robert, you're breaking up for me. Uh, is okay. that true for other people? Can you hear him okay? I can hear the words. There is, yeah, it's coming. not great audio quality, but I can understand okay. the language. I think that's what's important. Yep. Okay, never okay. mind. Is my so maybe broken? <laughs> Well, I'm on a mobile connection, so I will turn off my video maybe, and that'll help the audio quality. That's something Damarat and I usually do when talking. Right. Uh, that should help the quality considerably. Um, anyways, so there is this. So one of the things that Damarato and I have talked about, because we both had a lot of time spent in, um, in these temples, both in, in America and in, in Thailand, that we can see that there's a bit of this cultural divide. Um, but there also was a really good opportunity because that's how he and I have spent a lot of our time learning, learning the Dhamma, is that there's a really great opportunity to learn in these systems, but they aren't really set up for, for the Westerners, um, not deliberately trying to exclude, but just because of some of the cultural factors that it creates this divide as well as the geographic mm -hmm. factor for one of you to fly over here is going to take a lot of time and money. Um, so that's an important, yeah. they are, <laughs> they are intentionally Asian. They are intentionally trying to make the what as Thailand as possible, or as Cambodian as possible. And so um, one example of that, 
uh, is that the little old ladies will scrounge really hard to get very authentic uh, groceries that they can put in their most authentic food. Never mind what it tastes like. That's not important. It's got to be authentic. And another one, and I think Robert was the one who was saying like this, I think it's a restaurant in uh, uh, London. And that the food that they serve at the restaurant is not the same food that they take to the wad. The food they take to the wad is much more authentic um, cuisine. Everyone there goes to speak Thai language. Even in uh, Wat Thai, Washington, D.C., for years, they've had an English, or excuse me, a Thai class for the Thai oh, yeah. kids to learn Thai. They do not want to have the kids not know the Thai language. Uh, and everything about the Thai Wat is Thai intentionally. So don't let that uh, become a barrier to you, okay? Because you're still absolutely welcome. So now I'm going to well, throw it back to, to Robert. Go ahead. So going, talking about, for instance, Wat Thai DC, you were talking about Thai language classes. It's not just that, though, because I participated in some classes there where we were learning various Dhamma stuff, and they were all, they were all in Thai. There weren't any English offerings until shortly before I was coming back here when I got roped into helping teach an English class because the previous one was sort of pettered out. But one of the nice things and one of the exciting things about the Seattle is that they have a really strong, strong offering in English that seems very established. Um, so there's a big opportunity there and really anywhere else that if we have people who want to use these facilities, whether it's having the resource of having the monks there to talk to, um, to learn more about the Dhamma and, and the culture, that it's sort of, that it's been the vehicle for it. That's all there. And then there's this facility that is perfect if you want to, you know, do practice, that you've got everything set up. You'll have people that'll come. I remember the first time that I stayed and I took the eight precepts at a, at a temple. I was just, crazy to me because they set me up I had my own table they all brought me all sorts of food and everything and there was no formal routine it was literally just me just me and then they just because they already have the system going with the monks that if you have people that are wanting to practice it's just one more set up another plate on the on the table open up you know if there's an extra monk's room open or somewhere in the library I spent a lot of time sleeping in the library uh, or anywhere else. I, I think I've slept in just about every corner of a, all the temples I've, I've been to. Anywhere, as, as long as you're okay with not, you know, maybe having a, a proper bed. It's a perfect spot just to have an impromptu retreat without really having to do any, any external setup. Um, so you have this aspect of having friendship with the monks and some of the lay people. You have all, of, all the teachings. A lot of times they'll have books, for instance, Wat uh, Atamayatalam. They have a whole Dhamma books thing, stocked full of English English books. Almost all of the English Bhikkhubuddhadasa offerings that are printed are there, along with a bunch of other uh, prominent Thai monks. Uh, and it's all there. It's it's already all set up. It's just that it's not because the monks are running in these Asian circles that there's not much that gets outside of that. 
and you know, well, as well, all these monks, well, for instance, I've never even been to Seattle, um, but it took me about five minutes to get the personal contact info for Atanlit or any of the other monks, because I know a bunch of monks in the States and they all know each other. So it's only is a few minutes for me to talk to the ones that I know. And he'll say, oh, I know him. In fact, he says, I'm a really good friend. And so he gave me a personal introduction. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm on the phone talking to him. Uh, so there's this whole cult, little subculture that's already exists that if we can just penetrate in, um, there's a lot of opportunity there to use the facilities and to use the, the, the people. But there is this issue of culture. Um, so it's one, understanding that, and then uh, understanding a little bit of the traditional etiquette in these places. And then once you understand just, just a few pointers on that, you, you're basically in. Uh, obviously, you'll be left out of any non-English things. But there presents an opportunity for um, Westerners in some of the places that don't have much of an English opportunity to start help putting together groups and classes. Where That's the other side of the coin to, to go to work. <laughs> someone do it. And a lot of the English offerings in the in these Asian Watts are done by lay people in the in these communities. So any one of you could very well be the next person who's putting it together because these monks would love to have something like this happen, but because of some of their commitments in the community as well as the fact that they might not feel very comfortable with the English language or they just don't have the outside connections to get the people to come even if they do have the language skills that these groups don't get set up. But almost every one of these temples would love to have a Wednesday night sitting group or a Tuesday or a Friday or a Saturday or whatever, whenever it is. I would be shocked if you found a place that wasn't open to that idea, assuming that you'd done just a few simple things to sort of win them over and say, okay, yeah, we, we like this guy. One thing that I can mention on that about the Thai monks, um, that there is kind of a game that they play. And um, that game could be known as who can drop the most names. And basically what they're looking for is uh, I name all the monks that I know and you name all the monks you know and so that we can begin to build the network of who do you know that I also know. <laughs> <laughs> is that not right robert haven't you seen that that's the I kind mean, of look, a game look at our right. conversation at Dalit last week it was very early on it was both of us going and him going do you know so and so oh yeah i know him he's oh do you know this person do you know that person and very quickly you have that and so damarato and and i since we have some of those connections can very easily sort of create invites for people to say Oh, I I know this guy. He's, you know, just give a, a really short introduction, and they say okay, and then you have a bit of an of an in there. You could also go walk in, but you'd have to really mind your manners an extra bit more to sort of win over some trust. Right. So what we're inviting you to do is to drop all the names you know. You can mention Bhikkhu Buddhadasa. You can mention Robert. You can mention me. You can mention uh, Ajahn Panyananda if you can if you know him or Ajahn Chah because they're all they all know these names. And so yeah, even if it's not a living personal monk that you know, just saying that you know these big name teachers 
is is a benefit just because they say okay because they're they've got to sort of judge where you're at and and what it is that you do and so i find that if you don't incorporate some of that knowledge early on in your first conversation then they're going to have to make assumptions for how much you might know or where you might be at and unfortunately their assumptions are going to be based on thai culture and so if they don't see you as being sort of in the culture of practicing the dhamma then you're going to be left in the uh on the side of okay well you're here to make merit and do ceremonies and magical magical things maybe or you don't know anything about buddhism at all and they're going to be giving you 101 when that's not what you were after mm -hmm. as soon as you can make sort of establish a bit of a reference point for them then you can get an offering that's sort of suited to wherever you're at here's, so here's maybe uh if, go ahead yeah so just to um take up one quick comment here so i think just to orient ourselves what we're talking about on the call here is uh multiple opportunities so to make a multiple opportunities and b that seattle this is a place where some of those opportunities can begin to manifest for anyone who wants to give it a try basically and one of those opportunities would be to learn from monks who have a lot of experience with practice and just to basically go there and receive instruction and talk and you know just form those relationships another one is to do retreats there uh including you know and in a way in a, in a way that's not exactly like the kind of retreats that most of us are familiar with because it's coming from a different angle and from a more uh from a tradition that's much more rooted in the Dharma for much longer. Uh, so that's kind of what we're talking about. And then specifically, I think we're gonna go into probably etiquette, like how to actually allow, how to get some of those things going, because there's a certain etiquette component to it. And then I think probably some of us have questions as well at a, at a point where we can go to that uh, for, and I know there, I, Jim's putting some questions, mm. but, um, there was also, uh, and we don't have to go in order, but we should definitely cover etiquette and then uh, questions. And one of them was uh, a concern about like basically cultural sensitivity and like basically, you know, to come in to this, this cultural center and, you know, try to, you know, basically get at the core practice, so to speak, without necessarily fully honoring some of the other cultural traditions and events that are taking place there could seem to be problematic in different ways so i think that partially will be covered by the etiquette piece but i also wanted to hear you guys speak about that okay let us start off with walking in the door the first thing you do is take both your shoes and your socks off and plan on going barefoot <laughs> uh, <clears throat> The next thing to do is to not go looking for anyone or to make a big scene or to ask questions or anything, but basically don't do much of anything. In fact, if you can find uh, or that the door opens into the, uh, um, let us say, uh, the shrine room, the throne room or the, uh, uh, the, the Dhamma hall or the meeting room or the, uh, meditation hall, whatever you want to call it, then just sit down. 
sit down and, and, and sit for a while. This will, in fact, send them a message that you could not send them with your mouth. <laughs> to just come in and, and sit down and uh, you will become, you'll get noticed. Um, now, I, I can't tell you what time of day, but I do know that uh, most of the Watts uh, will have lunch at around 11. So showing up at 10.30 in the morning would be a really excellent time for this. Because you might, in fact, be invited to lunch right away after sitting for 30 minutes or so. So this is kind of the way that things are, is that um, there's a, not a lot of nonverbal cues that you can give. And so uh, quiet and sitting and not asking questions and all of that will, will look really good. Uh, <clears throat> and so uh, when you introduce yourself, you can say, you know, that you've heard about us and that they uh, uh, were hoping that this was a good time for them to, for you to come. And this, this kind of protocol uh, will go a, a, a long way. So um, doing the name dropping and that kind of thing uh, that we just mentioned is, is good when you get uh, into conversation. And it would be okay if three or four or five of you win all at the same time, that would be great. So maybe Saturday morning at 1030, you show up at the WAD and just take it from there. Uh, somebody's asking a question, can we get some monks? Yes, maybe we can. I mean, Achan uh, 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 Reed just sent me an invitation for a Zoom call on the 20th. So I suppose that we can. Awesome. And just to take some more questions. So CJ had a well, question. Oh, yep. One Go second. Ahead, Robert. So before we open up for questions, I have some notes on um, etiquette that I think would be etiquette. helpful. Yes. Um, and I can go. send these out uh, via the email. I'll send these to you, Noah, and then since you have the, the list of people, you can send them out. But here are just some basic points of etiquette. I compiled these just from what I thought and then talking to a few people and looking at a few different things at what people were saying online in, in the Thai community or here is, here's your general etiquette. Um, so my first point is perhaps even before you make it in the door would be dress. Uh, typically, they'll be a little bit tending towards conservative, but not formal dress at a temple. Uh, so this is going to be, you know, having... Yeah, shoulders you know, and knees covered. Yeah, your, your, your typical modesty, having loose, not just don't attract attention is really the, the rule here. Don't, whatever it is, whether it's by showing a lot of skin or whether it's by loud colors or lots of state statements, the idea is to sort of just keep a muted appearance. Um, but yeah, a muted lower, um, a, a muted lower uh, skirt or pants and a white shirt would be good. Yeah, that's kind of the, the gold standard here is a dark colored pants or skirt and a white shirt or even a white pants or skirt if you really want to go full thing. That's a Thai custom for when people are going to temples, sometimes they'll do that. But for the most part, it's just a little bit conservative, not 
attracting attention, comfortable. Um, all black is the typical for funerals. All white is typical for people who are coming to specifically to make merit or for or or for uh, dedicated periods of practice. A lot of times, temples here, if you're going to go on a retreat, they will have you do all white. Um, most of the time they won't, but sometimes they will. So if you want to get some bonus points and, and for some cultural knowledge, pop on a white t-shirt and and a pair of darkish color pants or even light color pants. The pants don't really matter too much. Um, but that'll win you points. Behavior, general, just being courteous, considered, considerate, following signs, you know, taking cues, see what other people are doing and don't do something that's the opposite. Uh, always take off your shoes. There's always going to be a place to put shoes. That's just a big one in Thai culture. Um, your physical composure. There's this idea that being physically collected and composed is a sign of sort of good manners as well as good training in the Dhamma. That's one of the big things for monks is how they physically hold themselves. Um, so whether this is, you know, when you're sitting on chairs or cross-legged on the floor, kneeling sideways, not just to really sprawl out. Um, mind where you point your feet. This is another big thing in Thai culture is the feet are kind of considered the dirty part of your body and it's very rude to point them at other people, um, especially if they're people that you should be respecting. Um, or monks or Buddhist statues get this treatment as well. So, you know, don't point your feet at people or even your typical pointing your index finger at, at people and things is considered a little bit um, that's right. Don't, well. don't don't point at things. That's kind of yeah. Just do an open-handed gesture is that yeah, right? thing in Thailand. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, um, another big thing is minding mindfulness of just how much noise you're making, whether it's you know walking loudly or laughing really loudly or having your cell phone go off. Just again, it's the more polite um, and physically composed you seem the more points you will kind of win for some of these. That being said, you know, you're going to, there are going to be a bunch of kids running and screaming. You're going to have like old grandmas who don't even know how to turn off their cell phones. So they go off like constantly during Thai funerals. So don't like feel like you've made some great offense. These are just ways to be sort of improve your, your image to the Thai people and the monks. A um, small point, don't throw anything to yes. a Thai person. They will not don't catch throw. it. And it is rude. Yes, it's very rude. Americans throw stuff all the time. Thai people never throw things to each other. Like never, ever, ever. Like the only thing you throw to someone is like if you're doing They do not have baseball here. <laughs> it comes yeah, from a baseball it, mentality, you know, and they do not play baseball. So, so the, even then, throwing yeah, is a weapon. Yeah, even the attack. sports here, there are not really many throwing sports. It's usually kicking and, and stuff like that, whether it's football or taka or, or something. So yeah, no throwing things at any point. No one will like that. Um, maybe like the more Americanized kids, they will find that fun, but no one else would. Um, they probably won't catch it and then you'll just look bad. It's another odd thing. Um, another thing to know is, is the why. This is the typical Thai gesture where you're putting your palms together. Um, the higher up you do it, it's kind of bonus respect. Uh, you will only do this to people who are either monks or older than you. Age matters a lot in Thai culture. So if it's like younger people, then there's no need for like kids and teenagers or anyone who's younger than you if you're older than a kid or teenager. Um, but that'll, that'll look weird, but not that weird. 
it'll just yeah so just like this know. for the kids but like this for the grandmas and like this for the moms and uh so do that 